good to have you with us. Um, turn in your Bible to Ephesians 5, which is where we were last week as well. Um, it is the passage that is going to show us Christ more clearly today, and I know I say that every week. Every week I say this is the passage that is going to show us Christ more clearly. It's important that you hear me say that every week, though. Um, this is a series, and in fact, today is a sermon on marriage, but as I said last week, and as I fully believe, whenever we see Jesus more clearly, marriage makes sense. So yes, we will be talking about relationships today, but without Christ being first and foremost, what we, what we focus on through these passages, even your marriage won't make sense. You'd be ripped off if that's all I did was tell you a couple facts and some lists on how to make your marriage better. So we're going to look at that passage most of all. I'm going to glance at a couple others and we'll have them up on the screen. Um, I did some research on what we call solitary confinement, right? Because that's what we all do, right? We research stuff like that. I did research on what solitary confinement is today in the United States of America. We have 80,000 inmates in solitary confinement. Isn't that amazing? Solitary confinement is what they put you in if you hit foul balls and are in error of some way while you're already in the penitentiary system or the prison system. If you've already done something to land you in there and then you do something, like kick a guard or something like that, you go into solitary confinement, right? Um, and it is developed with the idea that you have as little contact with people as possible. As, as absolutely little as possible. And this was developed back in the mid-1800s in Pennsylvania, right? Eastern State Penitentiary is one of the very first prisons to use this. It was heavily influenced by the Quakers. Now the whole idea was not to punish somebody for doing something that was wrong. The whole idea behind solitary confinement is to get somebody alone so that they could be reformed. The whole idea is, is if you get somebody away from other people where it's just them and God, that they'll have a reformation of heart. They'll have an ability to pay penance. That's where we get our word penitentiary. So if you look at old pictures of old solitary confinement cells, they would always have one big window or skylight at the very top so that God could see them and do work on them while they were alone, separated from everybody else. It's interesting, isn't it? Of course, what we've seen over time and research shows us that the exact opposite happens whenever you get somebody in a situation where they spend time in solitary confinement. They come out much more aggressive. Mental disorders start to skyrocket. So, for the rest of us, as it turns out, you know, it's not very healthy to not be connected to people. That's the lesson we can draw out of this. We're not designed to be separated from other relationships. God built us to need and desire and grow from human interaction. There is no such thing as a healthy hermit. You've never seen one. If you go traipsing through the woods and you happen upon a hermit, I wouldn't even know what that looks like, but if you ever see a hermit, just assume immediately they are not healthy, just by virtue of the fact that they have no contact with anyone else, right? And we all know that just because you're around people today in Knoxville or whatever city you come from today, just because you're surrounded by people doesn't mean that you're really connected. You could be flanked by culture and still be in solitary confinement. Shopping where they shop, standing in the same lines, eating at the same restaurants, working next to them at work, yet not connected. And it, what, what's interesting to me today is how much technology has grown intuitively. 
that I can be connected to you without even trying to be connected to you. I could be on one website and I can know what you're listening to and what you just bought. Just because I'm connected to you through another site that's connected through another site. Intuitively, I'm connected to you. On accident, I'm connected to you. But not really. I mean, I don't know how many Facebook friends you have. But if someone were to die, how many of your 500 Facebook friends would do a really good job writing your obituary? Not very many, right? Because you're known, but not really known. I mean, you're friends, but you're not really friends. It's interesting. And even stranger now to me is it, and much more tragic, is that this can happen to our marriages. That even in your marriage relationships, you can end up being in solitary confinement. Connected, but not connected. Friends, I guess, but not really friends. And it never starts out that way. It's this devolution. It's this descent that whenever we get married, we always have it in our mind's eye that I'm always going to be passionately in love with this person and connected on a soul level. They're my best friend, my BFF, my lover, my intimate other half. This is the person for me. But then as time goes on, you turn into, I don't know, partners. Not so romantic anymore. Not so connected anymore. You just kind of divide and conquer as the world's problems come. And then after that, you turn into roommates, if not careful, right? Where you just kind of tolerate each other and coexist under the same roof. And then maybe enemies out of that. Maybe silent enemies, maybe loud enemies, but something quite a bit different. And this is usually the, the, the path we see some marriages take. Even in my, in my marriage with Paula, one of the biggest temptations we have is to become partners. We talk about this all the time. We talk openly. By the way, anything I say about our marriage, I totally got permission, okay? Um, that would be bad in a marriage series, right? If I don't get permission from my wife to talk about our stuff, goodness gracious, y'all have to fire me. But what we, we started off being very good friends. I am seven years younger than my wife. So when we met, and some of you know the story, when we met, I had no desire. I mean, there was no angst or any kind of anxiety or sexual tension or romantic tension between the two of us because she was seven years older than me, right? And I'm not necessarily thinking, and I know I've joked around with some of you and thought, well, it'd be like dating my mom. Not really, okay? She was a classy woman. I was attracted to her, highly attracted to her. But in my mind, I'm thinking she's way out of my league, right? I mean, she's in a career, not a job. She has her stuff together. She makes her payments on time. <laughs> These are all things I struggled with. And I knew she looked at me and thought, well, he probably just got his braces off this kid, you know? <laughs> there was so much of a, seven years isn't that far, believe it or not. But for me, at a real young age, in my young 20s, I thought it was forever. And so there was, there was no tension, and we became really, really good friends. And then we became best friends. And then out of our friendship, I looked at her, and I thought, that's the one I really want to do the rest of my life with. Now, when we got married, we became lovers, right? In love with each other, loving each other, and best friend. Intimate lovers, intimate best friends. That's what, but because of the way we're designed, because of the way God has put us together, it's easy for us to switch into partner mode. Something happens. A kid gets sick. Problems with the job. Problems with the house. And we are so good at dividing and conquering that after a while, we just kind of turn into that sort of couple. A little less face-to-face -face where we're intimately in love and intimately, passionately connected to each other and a little bit more shoulder-to-shoulder -shoulder than we like. That's our temptation. 
That's what we have to guard ourselves. I don't ever see us becoming a, a couple that hates each other. I don't think we're really in danger of being mortal enemies. But I, I don't want it to happen where we're not BFFs anymore either. I want it to be a situation where I'm in love with her and we're intimate, but we're also best friends. And I think I'm not alone. I think with some of you who are married, some of you who are married, you understand what I'm talking about when I use terms like partner and roommate and what used to be not being now. I think you understand that. And you might love your spouse and you might be deeply connected to the one that you want to just go the distance with. But if I were to ask you, if I were to ask you, is he or she your best friend, would there be hesitation? My best friend? Him? Well, I mean, what do you mean when you say best friend? Do you mean like the person I want to hang out with all the time? I mean, what do you mean when you say best friend? And we try to qualify it, don't we? Her? My best friend? Luke, is that important? It is. It's not only important, it's biblical. It's biblical. It's very important. It's God's design that you have no better friend on this planet than your spouse. Right? I'm going to prove it biblically. If you have, put your finger in Ephesians 5 and just flip to the front of your Bible and go to Genesis 2. We have this scene in Genesis 2 where God created the universe and he's building all kinds of things and he's calling them good. Mountains, land, animals running around. It's very good. The moon, the stars, everything's very, that's good, 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 good. It all looks good. Here's man, the apex of, of my creation and the fullness of my creativity. In fact, he is in my image. He was very good. I mean, creation was good. It was great. Hey, creation was perfect. And not only was creation perfect before the fall, man was perfect. And not only was that perfect, his relationship with God was perfect. That's something we don't think about very often. Think about this. Before man's fall, before mankind cracked right down the middle, the relationship that God had with Adam didn't have the stuff our relationship with God has. And we've got fears and insecurities and weird jank going on that prevents us from really relating to God, even the way that we want to relate to God. Adam had none of that. None of that. A perfect relationship with God inside of a perfect creation. And yet, God looks at that and says, this whole situation, him being alone, not good. How is that possible? How is that possible that a man with a perfect relationship with God and perfect creation could be alone and it be not good? How can that situation be true? Let's look at Genesis 2, verse 18. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground the Lord had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. That's a totally different preach. The man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. Now that last... That last little phrase is very key. And if you look at the language behind the language, it basically says this. But for Adam, there was not a best friend. And all of the creation, all the animals walking around, there was not a best friend, a deep connected friend for Adam. Some of you might think that you do not need friends because what you have with God is good enough. Luke, I don't really need friends. All that's important is that I have a good vertical relationship. Well, apparently not. 
Because here Adam had a perfect relationship with God and God was less than enthused about the fact that he was alone. So what does he do? He brought Eve. He brought Eve. The first wedding. He sees her. He sings a song. Read it. He's excited. His lover. The first marriage. His best friend. This was the very first and most beautiful thing that God had put together in relationships was between man and wife and it is to be a template for you and for me. They are lovers and they were best friends. Now this is the problem for us today. Most married couples would not consider their spouse their best friend. Most couples, statistically, do not consider their spouse their best friend. A friend, sure. But maybe there's other people that you'd rather be around. And let me tell you, whenever your spouse is not your best friend, something else is. Someone else is. For guys, we tend to make mistresses out of things, right? A screen, a job. We, try, we, we, we tend to develop and, and give our best to something else. For women, sometimes it might be someone. For guys, it could be someone too. For women, it could be job as well. But whether it's someone or something, it's, it's our tendency to give our best to something else if we're not giving our best to our wife or our husband inside of marriage. So you might be doing that. Ask yourself that. Ask yourself that. Because listen, you could have a decent theology in a really bad marriage. And we're going to talk about that. In fact, ask yourself this. On a scale of 1 to 10, scale of 1 to 10, how good of a friend are you to your spouse? Think about it. Don't answer it out loud. Now, if your spouse were to answer that question for you, would the number be higher or lower than yours? It's a tough question. Friend. I mean, what does that even mean? I mean, Facebook, let me tell you, Facebook is not the definition of what a friend is. Those are relationships. Those are not friends. You do not have 458 friends. You might not even have 45 friends. You know, those are relationships, but that has become what is dictated and defined to us what it really, I mean, Jesus himself, listen, think about it this way. He was friendly to all, but how many friends did he really have? He collected a few to his life that could see him in those close moments, a few. How many friends can you really have anyway? How many deep friends do you really have? It's not going to be very many if you think about it because real friendships take time and investment and vulnerability, and you just don't do that with everybody. So listen, I say that because some of you probably have looked around at some point in time or another and have wondered whether you are different because you see other people having a lot of friends, but you yourself don't feel like you have very many friends. Listen, if you only have four or five or three or two really good friends, you're normal. And if your best friend is your spouse, you're biblical. That's important that you know that. In Ephesians, go ahead and flip back to Ephesians. Paul is doing something really radical. <clears throat> we read it, and we've heard it our whole lives growing up in church, or maybe you just read it, you assume that this is normal. Listen, this was not normal what he was preaching back then. It was jaw-dropping, pin-drop. You could hear a pin-drop in the room as this is being read to churches. Right? Now let me just set it up for you a little bit before we even read the text. There, back in the old ancient world, marriage... And how people came together was strictly utilitarian. Marriages were utility. It was all based on financial sustainability. Joining families, changing last names in order that you could have more security. That your namesake, your posterity could go longer, right? 
For all of those who watched Downton Abbey, you know exactly what I mean. That's what it was like. You didn't have to love the person. You didn't even have to like the person. You didn't even have to ever have seen the person. Because love and friendship, it didn't even matter. It was about joining names. Very utility. That's what is going on when Paul reads this. Now today we have a different situation. They're not utility anymore, are they? It's all about romance. It's all about romance and hooking up. It's all about compatibilities we talked about last week. That is what it, and some of you might say to yourself, see Luke, it's gotten better. No, it hasn't. You can't have romance driving the bus any more than you can have financial sustainability. And this is what happens over time. Whenever you are married and the romance starts to kind of spike and drop and become something that you can't depend on anymore, and physically the intimacy isn't what you thought it would be, a lot of marriages revert back to being safe. Hey, at least the money goes longer now, right? Welcome to the 1500s. You're back to the old ancient world of how they would get married. I talked to a guy once years and years and years ago that he was struggling with his marriage, and he basically was communicating to me that, man, listen, I would love to just kind of start over because I'd like to get those feelings back I had with this woman back in the day, but I just... I'm just too old for that. I'm too old to start over. The bank accounts are joined. It'd break the kids' hearts. He's living in ancient worlds. So see, none of this is really new. None of it's really new. And Paul comes in, and he cuts it in half, and he sets it on fire. So this is what he... Go ahead and look in Ephesians 5, and he says this. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. This is in verse 22. I'm I'm sorry. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to everything to their husbands. And again, we're going to talk about that. But this is where I want you to focus. Verse 25. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word so that he might present to the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. Now, this is radical at the time. This is radical. Paul is preaching and they're saying to themselves in the listening audience, you mean to tell us that we could be best friends and we could be lovers, we could actually enjoy the person that we're married to? That's crazy. What about security? What about sustainability? What about safety? Here we see that Jesus gave himself up for his spouse, his bride. He did this by putting himself in the hands of murderers who would then hang him on a cross and murder him for your sake and for my sake. This is what we see. This is the beautiful ultimate marriage that is to be our template. And why did he do this? He did this to sanctify the church. Sanctify just means to clean or to grow, to nurture. He did that to sanctify us, to wash us, to help us, and then to present us. He did something very beautiful. And he did this as our friend. This is a friendly action. He did this as our friend. And he did it to very unfriendly people. We weren't friends back. In fact, he says this in John 15, which isn't going to be on the screen. This is just something I'm throwing in. Greater love has no one than this, than someone who would lay down their life for their friends. He wasn't just a friend. He was a friend to very unfriendly people. 
That's hard for us to do, by the way. And he did this intentionally, not accidentally. Intentionally. That's probably the one key word I want you to walk out of here with in the bank. Intentional. If you could remember that word, it should help. Intentional. He did this with intentionality, not accidentally. And we, as Christians, as his church, we take a page from that playbook. And we too are intentional in our marriages. You know, this is what friends do. This is standard fare in community, by the way. Standard fare in community is, you know, I've got Dave down here running the projector. He must smell or something. There's nothing over there by him. Look, it's just total vacancy except for him. And me and Dave are friends, and we love each other as community. So if he sees me in sin, he's going to nurture the relationship I have with Jesus because he wants me to look more like Jesus, and I want him to look more like Jesus, and I want him to love God more and more and more. So we work on each other as friends, as friends. And if I'm unfriendly, he still does it because he loves me. And if he's unfriendly, then I still do it. It's a standard fare. In Hebrews 10, 24, and this will be on the screen, says this, And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. This is a picture of what we're talking about. I mean, sure, listen, you could help somebody look more like Jesus and then not be your friend. You could do that but it still is a very friendly thing you're doing by sanctifying them, by developing them. And listen, in marriage, that gets amplified to a whole new level, doesn't it? It sounds like I'm talking church talk. I'm talking marriage talk. Listen, your marriage is community. It's community. It's your job, Christian, to help your spouse look more like Christ. That's part of the package. To become more of an image of Jesus. That's part of what's going on. And we not only should help our spouses look more like Jesus, we should help our spouses love Jesus more than us, which is hard because we like to wear the hero cape. We like to be elevated. Some of us might be satisfied if our spouse just enamors and elevates us and loves us more than they love Jesus. Don't be satisfied with that. That's dangerous. You're already on the rocky coastline. You want to develop your relationship so that your spouse loves Jesus more than you. That's what you're looking for. But in your marriage, intentionality, intentionality, again that word, that is where deep relationship is found because nobody accidentally becomes best friends. It doesn't happen. Now you can enjoy people accidentally and not have to work hard for that. Sometimes, I mean, you know what I'm talking about. You find yourself in a conversation with people you don't know very well and you just like them. You're just enjoying it. They're funny, they're winsome, and you just get... That's, that's great. You're enjoying them for free. That's accidental. But you can't dig out a deep best friendship on accident. It doesn't happen that way. And here we see it, Jesus being friendly to the unfriendly. And not only that, but not requiring the spouse to return the effort. I mean, we got to take our cues from this. I hope you hear me before I make it obvious. We see Jesus being friendly to an unfriendly spouse, not requiring that spouse to pay her back or to pay him back, to return the favor, reciprocate. That's what we see. He was accused of being a friend of sinners. And he is a friend to us. And he met us where we're at. And he doesn't require us to clean up ourselves and make it real easy on him. In fact, it says in Romans that he shows his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, still dirty, still unfriendly, still hateful, 
still liars, still thieves, still sleazy, that's when he loved us. That's when he loved us the most. And this is why, this is why many marriages will not experience or do not experience deep friendship. This is it right here. Because they're not intentional with each other. They want the other one to meet them halfway. It's this weird thing we do. I want them to meet me halfway, my spouse. Make it accidental. I want it to be easy. I want it to be all fair. I want them to come over to my side. I'll be nice to you, but as soon as you're not nice to me, I'm going to get an attitude real fast. We do this thing. Well, we're not intentional to the unfriendly. We're only intentional if they're friendly. And I do this. I mean, I'm a big criminal in this category. I do this with my wife a lot. I got this thing. It's a weird tick I have. I got this thing with saying sorry. You can ask Paula. Don't even get her started. She'll go off on me forever. I got this thing about saying sorry. I, I, I believe in these big, deep, heartfelt apologies. I'm so, I'm so sorry. You know, and I'll just really lay it out there, and I'll lay it down thick, because I really am sorry. I'm, I've broken this covenant with God. I've broken this. I'm so sorry. And it's really deep-hearted, and she'll go, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry too. And I'll stop. Okay. When you say you're sorry, are you as sorry as I am right now? Because I'm really sorry, and I'm catching from your sorry that you're not very sorry. Let's start this all over again. I'll go first. I'm really sorry. And we'll play it over and over again. And I get mad because I feel like she's not meeting me halfway. I feel like it's not fair. I'm being friendly. And I don't perceive your friendliness. Right? And I'm requiring effort from her. I'm requiring it. Now, it's nice to have it. It's nice to have reciprocation. But my love can't demand it. I'm requiring it. You better say you're sorry like I want it delivered up. Serve it up. It's weird that I do that. I don't know where I picked that up. But this is the thing. Your spouse being your best friend and your spouse being your intimate lover means you being friendly even if he or she is radically unfriendly to you. Radically unfriendly to you. This is where the breakdown in many marriages happen, right here. And this is why many of you might feel like you're in solitary confinement, right? The truth is, friend, it might be you. You might be in solitary confinement because you're just not very friendly. You're probably just not very friendly. But what about him? What about her? Have you ever noticed that friendly people, just in general, friendly people aren't that lonely? They're just not. Whenever you see a friendly person, it's just easy to see a lot of friends around them. They just bust up into little things going on, clicks, don't intimidate them. Hey, I'm here. You don't know me. This is my name. I'm all, I want to talk about what you're talking about. Let's get it on. And all of a sudden, they've got all these friends. Friendly people aren't very lonely, right? You know, as a pastor at this church and at other churches and I see people coming and going from churches one of the things I hear from people often is that church isn't a very friendly church or in another way I couldn't make friends there very much right this is what they're really saying friendship didn't happen on accident because friendly people aren't really ever lonely this is what they're really saying I was sitting there Luke and nobody sat next to me and an instant friendship just came out of nothing that's what they're really saying. And there's a piece of me that just wants to tell them, you're probably not going to find it here either, brother. You're just not. 
Because you see people getting up and talking. Get up and talk. Friendly people aren't lonely. Luke, why are you saying this? It doesn't have anything to do with marriage. Some of you have said in your mind, if you've not said to somebody else, my wife isn't very friendly. My husband isn't very friendly. Here's the deal. You first. You first. What I th- Luke, I thought the man was supposed to lead. We're talking about friendship. We're just talking about friendship. You first. Be friendly when he's just a total jerk. Be friendly when she's off her grid. You know what I'm talking about, guys? Be friendly. This also means being intentional and finding them and relating to them exactly where they're at. This is, this is very difficult. This is very difficult as well. You see, the fact is, in the gospel, in the story of Jesus Christ, he met us where we were at. We're sinners in these bodies. We're called humans. And he met us right in the midst of who we were. He didn't come as like a dolphin, you know, and just chirped away. And we're like, what, Jesus? We can't hear you. We don't understand what's going on. He's chirping. He's a dolphin. It wasn't like that where we just didn't understand it, didn't comprehend. He came as a human being. He came and he spoke like us and he looked like us and he ate with us and he told our stories and he made sense to us. He met us where we were at. Now, this is the thing. We take that for granted. He didn't have to do that. He could have spoken to us as God. He could have spoken to us in his language and we wouldn't have understood it. We would have all just dissolved, I guess. I don't even know what would have happened. We do have a small picture of this happening in Exodus I'm just going to read it because it's not on the screen. Now when all the people saw thunder and flashes of lightning, so they're all before this mountain, Moses is up there talking to God. And earlier in this passage it says, and when God spoke to Moses, it thundered. I don't know what that means. You, your guess is as good as mine. Now when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, that freaked me out right there, the people were afraid and trembled and they stood far off and said to Moses, what? You speak to us and we will listen, but do not let God speak to us lest we die. They needed a human representative to speak. They needed it to make sense to them. They needed to be met where they were at. God didn't have to do that. God brought Jesus to make sense to you and me, to meet us where we were at, covered over in our layers of sin. Men, women, we meet our spouse where they are at. We meet our spouse where they're at. This is important. This is what we've noticed. Women, culturally, now I'm painting with a broad brush. If this is not you, don't email me. I'm speaking broadly. Women primarily build relationships through talking as an activity as an activity. So Paula comes home, hanging out with the ladies. Hey, what did you guys do? Oh, we talked. That doesn't answer my question. What did you do? Because for guys, talking is something that may or may not occur in the midst of an activity, which is how men build relationships primarily. So we just talked. Well, we just sat around, we talked, and they were flipping the lights off and stacking chairs, and we kept talking. For guys, we don't do that so much. I was hanging out with a friend the other day, a pastor in another city, and he talked about how he's got some teenage daughters now that are old enough to have substantial, meaningful conversations with mom. So it's just a room full of women. And he says, look, Luke, I've got years and years of counseling experience, like 20 years or something. He says, and I go in there geared up, man. I'm in the room just praying, and I'm, I'm going to go in and have a conversation. I'm going I'm to speak as a man to my wife and to my daughters, and I'm going to be interested in what they have to say. He says, I'll make it like six minutes. And they just excuse me politely, you know. 
Oh, Dad, it's okay. You can go. Go call a friend. <laughs> Throw a football or something. I don't know. He's like, I just can't do it. Men, we primarily build relationships through an activity where talking may or may not occur. You see the difference? Men, look at your relationships. They're typically, typically, relationships that were generated through an activity. I played flag football with those guys. I work with those guys. I planted a church with those guys. I was in the military with those guys. Things that you did with those guys and bonding happened. What's the point? The point is, is meeting our best friend where they're at, it might mean changing your posture. Men, right? It might mean having a meaningful conversation with your spouse face-to-face about feelings and things that she is interested in, how she's doing for longer than six minutes. That is what is on the line in building a deep, meaningful friendship. Women, it helps to be alongside your husband in something. I don't understand it. That's how we bond. I don't get it all the time. I don't get it how I could just sit and hammer on boards or mow the lawn, you know, Teg, Tegelar, who's not even here today, he's, he's raising support. He's a, a campus minister at the University of Tennessee. Whenever I first got to know him, I didn't know him very well. We were still kind of just getting to know each other. A tree had fallen down in the neighbor's lawn, and he needed help cutting it up. So I go over there and help him cut it up. Again, I don't know him very well. And I'm running this log splitter, and that thing is loud, man. I mean, this big engine, brr, 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 and he's got a chainsaw, and we've got headphones on, the ear protection and goggles, and we didn't say a word to each other for like six hours. Just nothing but just fumes and chips and stuff flying. And (laughs) when we were done, we were like best friends. We didn't say a word to each other. We just got it. We bonded on a whole new level. Women, it's just like that sometimes. I don't understand it. I don't understand. But doing things with your husband so that they can bond at a different level is very important. Where, Where is it in your marriage that you're unwilling to bond? Where is it in your marriage that you're unwilling to take on the posture of how your spouse understands meaningful, deep friendship building? Where is that happening? You know, a pastor who is a friend of mine, he is my coach. He's my gospel coach, and he's my church planning coach. John John Fouché, I'm going to say his name publicly on purpose so you can give him a hard time next time he's here. But as I was talking to him a few months ago, he was describing the fact that his wife, who's this ballet guru in, in Johnson City, put on this big performance and of course the daughters involved they're they're great ballet dan- dancers i guess you'd call them and he was all into it and he goes so you know i've been, i just jumped in the the ballet with them and i've been going to rehearsals and anyway so let's talk about and i went whoa whoa whoa, whoa 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 did you say that you're in the ballet with them and he goes yeah 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 hey anyway the game's on channel you know and i said no no whoa, 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 whoa. do you put the shoes on and stuff and he goes, yeah, but like the tides? He goes, Luke, it's not that big of a deal. I was like, no, I'm afraid it is, friend. I'm afraid it's a very big deal. You said the word ballet, and I just don't want to move too fast. Now, the thing is, is I'm really giving him a hard time, but the thing is, is that's probably the most masculine thing I'd seen. The fact that he would do that to generate a good relationship, a best friendship with his wife. And he, in fact, told me, Luke, my marriage has is never been healthier than this right now. This, I get to experience this with my wife. It's like, I don't like dancing out there, but I like what's going on with me and my bride right now. It's masculine. I love it. I love what he did. It's a good example to me. And it takes great intention because it's very inconvenient, but it does look like Jesus. So the point, what I'm saying in all of this is this. 
We are to move first without expectation that there's going to be a return on our investment in order to meet our spouse where they are at in a way that they understand and ministers to them. That's friendship. That's the gospel. I'll say it again so you can see the gospel in it. Okay? We are to move first intentionally without any expectation that it will be reciprocated and brought back to us. Meeting them where they're at. Do you hear the gospel in this? In such a way that they understand and it ministers to them fully. It's the gospel picture for us. And that is how, folks, that is how we build a best friendship in our marriage. You know, this metaphor has been used so much, I have no idea who it's original to. I've heard several pastors use it. But the metaphor of couples that are back-to-back don't really agree on anything. They fight a lot. But they don't even fight each other anymore. They've just gotten silent, and they're definitely not fighting the enemy. Then you've got couples that are shoulder-to-shoulder, which is what we were talking about earlier. It's me and my wife's biggest struggle. It's not ever really going to be back-to-back, but it will be shoulder-to-shoulder if we're not careful. Where they've agreed to certain terms of relating, but that's it. And then you've got couples that are face-to-face. That's totally something different. That's a best friending moment. This is what God describes himself in the Bible as whenever he says he's having deep friendship with somebody. Adam saw God face-to-face. Jacob was seen as a man who saw God face-to-face. Moses was described as a man who saw God face-to-face. This was God's way. This is his way of saying, I have deep friendship with this person. Here it says in 1 Corinthians 13, For now we see in a mirror dimly, and you've all heard this, but then we will see face-to-face. He's describing that, the fruit of a beautiful marriage. Right? So God has called us as married couples to see each other as face-to-face now in the most deep of earthly relationships we could possibly have. And that represents what God has done cosmically for mankind. It represents the gospel. You know, as you guys do this, and I'm going to give you some questions here in just a little bit to talk to your wife or your husband about during the week. But one of the things, and this is socially true, this has been remarked on and studied to death, but there are typically three ways of communicating. One is in facts. It's going to be hot today. Fact. Right. Um, Memorial Day is tomorrow. That's a fact. Guys, that's typically how we talk to each other is in facts. Right? And it shows, you know, you, you come into a new relationship, you don't really know them all, you start talking in facts. But whenever you start feeling more comfortable with somebody, you start talking in the second layer of communication, which is opinions. I think this is right. I think that is wrong. I'm all for this. I'm totally against that. But the deepest relationships experience that third realm of communication, which is feelings. I feel ashamed. I feel let down. I feel broken. I feel ripped off. I'm feeling encouraged. That happens in face-to-face. That happens face-to-face. That's what we're tasked with building. You've all heard of the image of someone taking grain and throwing it up in the air with a pitchfork, and then the grain falls and the shaft blows away. Whenever I speak face-to-face with my bride, whenever I speak in terms of feelings, I mean, and that's really what gets us in trouble. We don't really get in a lot of trouble talking about facts, but when we start just gutting it out there with how we feel... Isn't it amazing how soon you start regretting some of the things you said? It's because you made yourself vulnerable and a lot of stuff came out of your mouth. 
A best friend can deal with that. She can deal with that. I'm like, and I'm saying all kinds of weird stuff. And she knows I'm going to let that go. I'm going to let that go. It's shaft. I'm going to take that. That's what he's trying to say. This is what he's trying to say. I understand this. And I feel safe in doing that. I feel safe. It's a beautiful best friendship. And it's growing. It's growing. And I see more of Jesus in my wife every year. As our relationship grows, I see more beauty in her. I see more Jesus in her every year. And soon, soon, when we're before God, I will see her without any flaw and we will be best friends forever. I do believe, I do believe that she'll be my best friend for eternity. We'll see each other with no flaws. I'm excited about that. I'm excited about that. I'd like to just challenge a couple groups of you and then we're done. And the team will be up here in just a little bit to uh, lead us in worship. I think some of you feel like you're in solitary confinement. Not much human contact, but there's humans around you. Not really connected to your bride, but hey, the marriage certificate says that you're married, right? I think some of you just aren't being very intentional. You yourself are not being intentional. You first. You first. You meet them where they're at. You first. You be friendly when they're unfriendly to you. Even if they're really unfriendly to you. You first. That intentionality, it images what Jesus Christ has done for you. Your spouse cannot be more unfriendly to you than you were to Jesus Christ. It's not possible. We murdered the Son of God by placing Him on a cross. Your spouse did not. He or she did not do that to you. Intentional. You know, so couples, during the week, I know I gave you some questions last week, and I'll, I'll, I'll put these up on Facebook as well for you to just kind of reflect on. Ask your spouse. Take turns. Ask your spouse, where is it that I can meet you more on your ground? Where can my posture look more like a posture that would minister to you? Right? And don't get ticked off when they answer you. Ask your spouse, where is it, where is it that I could be friendlier as a best friend? Where can I be friendlier for you? Now listen, you might not get both questions out. One question might take all night, and I get that. I'm just trying to get you guys talking in that direction, okay? I'll, I'll put those questions up in a couple more, but I want you to think about those. You know, if you're single, for whatever reason that you might be single, and you're looking for a spouse. You're looking for somebody to be a best friend with forever. Can I just, can I counsel you on this? And this is something that I've told a lot of the, the single people in our church already in smaller settings. Don't marry a lover. Marry a best friend. Marry your best friend. I mean, you know what I mean when I say marry your best friend. Marry, marry someone of the opposite sex that you think will be your best friend, that you're developing a best friend with. Marry your best friend. Marry your best friend. It's the wisest thing you can do. That passion, that romance will come and it will go. It will come and it go. But be intentional. Marry somebody not with what they can give you. When I married Paula, I wasn't thinking, and this, listen, I was a loser back then. I can't even believe I got what I got. But one thing I did have in my mind whenever I married her is I knew I'm not going to marry her so I can get something back. I'm going to marry her because I want to serve her. I want to serve this woman forever. 
That I did know. Carry that posture as you're looking at the vast landscape that is dating. It's crazy. And we're going to talk about that again in the weeks to come. Um, for another group, real quickly, and the team can go ahead and come up. There's another group in here that you feel like you're in solitary confinement and you feel cut off relationally. Yeah, from community. Okay, so I get it. Community. You might not feel like you have that life-to-life relationship, that best friending with people, but you are also in solitary confinement with God. You don't feel like you're even connected to God. You feel like there is a crack right down the middle. And whenever I talk about what Adam had as some perfect thing in the garden as a relationship with God, you don't even, you, you wonder what that could look like. I'm telling you right now, he's already been intentional with you. He is the intentional groom who came for a worthless bride. He is the intentional groom that came for one who is deeply flawed. As we said last week, the gospel is only for flawed people. Only for flawed people. And he came for you. And he really wants to befriend you today. It's something that you need to be praying for as we worship, as the music's going, and yes, we're going to have communion. And as we always say, that's something that we celebrate as the church. That's something we celebrate as Christians. Feel free to take it in community. Feel free to take it with your spouse. And like I said last week, just squeeze your spouse's hand. Bookmark the moment. Let them know. You're going to be talking about this later on. You're going to be talking about this later on. I realize I'm putting you on the spot. I realize that. It's good for you. It's good for you. Don't just build a marriage. Build a marriage where you're married to your best friend. 